No more verses. Nope, we're good. <laughs> Poor wretched blind sight. What are we doing? What's going on? Four, four verses. Just wretched blind sight riches healing of the mind yea all I need thee to find O Lamb of God I come I come awesome Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. Let's begin today with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the joy of being in your presence, of being gathered here uh, to receive your word, to be nourished by your scriptures, and to be fed uh, with your sacrament at the altar marriage feast of the Lamb. And we pray today, Lord, uh, that as we are gathered here, you would remind us, uh, Lord, that there are others that you want gathered into this place as well. We pray, Lord, uh, that you would give us wisdom and guidance in serving those around us with care, just as you have graciously cared for us. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at Community Lutheran Church, we believe that God's word is this, this word that he speaks to us that both saves us and then forms and shapes the way we live our lives as his people. This is what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, to be formed and shaped and saved by his word. And we believe that here at the church you are to encounter that word in any number of ways. But we like to emphasize that as disciples we are those who hear God's word in worship. We learn God's word in Bible study. And we care for everybody that God gives to us according to that word. Now this week we're starting up with the big process of learning again. It's the fall. We're focusing in on getting back into Bible study because we believe that being in Bible study is going to be a significant factor in your life as God's people. And so we want you plugged in. We've got Bible studies on Wednesday mornings here. We got them coming up on Tuesday evenings over in San Marcos. We have a Saturday morning men's study. We have uh, our Sunday school hour right between the two services. We've got a lot of ways to get plugged in. We have community groups, all sorts of ways to study God's word. And we believe you need to be a part of that. We want you to be in the Word of God with the people of God so that it might begin to form and shape who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things we do here for our youth is we have confirmation. We have all kinds of youth programs, but we also have confirmation. And the Lutheran Church has always had confirmation because we believe that teaching our kids the faith, uh, teaching our kids the faith matters. It matters significantly. So a week from Wednesday, we're starting up with confirmation again. And I love confirmation. This is one of the most fun things that I do as a pastor. I love teaching these students the Word of God. But to start the class off, we want to make sure they're having a good time. We want to make sure they're engaged. So one of the things I like to do at the beginning of my classes is ask them sort of a, a goofy question or a question that helps me to get to know them a little bit better. So sometimes I'll ask them like a desert island question. You know the desert island questions? Like you're stuck on a desert island and you can only listen to one album while you're on that desert island. 
what album do you choose? And they are now always saying to me, oh, what is an album and why am I on a desert island by myself? Like they don't get the game, all right? Uh, they have iPhones, they don't have albums anymore. It's, it's quite frustrating. So, uh, uh, then I'll, so then I'll say like, so, okay, so you only get one person singing on your iPhone. Who do you listen to? And they say, why would I only have one person singing? I got a whole playlist. It's, it's aggravating. So I've got to switch up the questions. So one of the questions I've started asking them is this. If you could have dinner with anybody in the history of the world, if you could have anybody over to your house for dinner, who would you invite over? And they have any number of interesting and engaging answers, and I get to know them a little bit better through their answers. But inevitably in the class, you're going to have one pious, uh, very religious student who will say, I would have dinner with Jesus. Oh, and we're all very impressed, and the pastor's very proud, and this is all very wonderful. Uh, and I'm sure that is a very good answer, but I wonder if it's actually true. Think about that for yourself. You could have dinner with anybody in the history of the world. Would you have dinner with Jesus? Before you say yes, I want you to consider what might happen if Jesus came over to your house for dinner. My guess is he's not showing up alone, and the people he's bringing are not the people you wanted invited. Further, as he sits down to eat with you, <laughs> he's going to criticize you for your choice in company. At least that's exactly what he did uh, to these Pharisees and religious leaders who had him over for a meal uh, roughly 2,000 years ago. This is a fascinating account uh, that we have today where Jesus is there and he's having a meal at this uh, chief of the Pharisees at his house. He, he's having uh, a meal there. And you would think this would be good news for the Pharisee, that this would give him a great reputation in the neighborhood. After all, big famous Jesus has come over, and so this is going to cause a lot of conversation, and this might be a very good thing, except this is not his intention at all. As we read the text, uh, what we find out is they have him there for, with ulterior motives. They're there to spy on him. They want Jesus there so they can get him in trouble. It says they were watching him carefully. Just like so many folks in this world who stand opposed to the church, uh, so many people who stand opposed to Christianity, they're just looking for any reason, any reason they can find to not have to listen to Jesus Christ. And the shocking thing really about the reading today is Jesus gives them one. He gives them a reason to be offended by him. So he's sitting there, the, the meal is probably getting ready to get going, and suddenly a man with dropsy shows up, and my guess is this man was dro with dropsy uh, was uninvited. Now this man shows up, and you just have to understand if Jesus is coming over for dinner, this is what's going to happen. Uninvited people are going to show up, and they're going to start, you know, being very obnoxious because they're going to be needy, and they're going to start begging, and they're going to start asking for help and needing healing, and really just sort of putting a downer on the whole meal that you wanted to be sort of light and frivolous and joyful, right? So, so this guy shows up, and Jesus looks at him, and he knows that he needs to be healed. Now, it's kind of against the rules in the, the mind of these religious leaders to do any sort of work. It was a Sabbath day, so it's against the rules uh, to do any sort of work on this day. And specifically, they do not believe it is probably right to heal the man. And nonetheless, he is there. Because as I said, when Jesus shows up, these people who kind of get in the way, they're going to show up too. The sort of people uh, that, you know, your friends might not be around you if these people are around you. And the people who you want to be your friends certainly won't hang around you if these people are around. Sometimes I wonder what we would feel like if these people started, you know, uh, showing up to our church. 
what would the reputation of our church be if those sorts of people started showing up? Did you see who went to church there that weekend? We're not sure those are the sort of people we want to sit next to on Sunday. But Jesus, he can't get enough of this guy. He can't get enough of loving and showing mercy to people who are in need. And this guy, he's not so concerned about this. He's simply here to see Jesus. Jesus sees this man suffering, and he cannot help himself. But he knows that as soon as he tries to help the man out, he knows as soon as he tries to heal this man, it's going to make conversation over the hors d'oeuvres very awkward. People are going to be very uncomfortable with this. But Jesus says, oh, so what? Let's have some fun. So he looks at the Pharisees and the lawyers and all the people who are going to spy on him there, and he says to them, now, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. They had nothing to say. They knew the man needed help. But they also had all kinds of rules set up so they, they didn't have to help him on Saturdays, so that they didn't have to take care of him at that moment. I mean, the dropsy is going to be there tomorrow. Jesus could just as easily have said to the guy, hey, why don't you come back tomorrow and I'll heal you then? I don't want to cause offense to these people, but you see, Jesus knew something about these people. They needed saving. They needed healing just as much as the man with dropsy did, only in a very different way. So Jesus does what the Lord of the Sabbath always does on the Sabbath day. He heals the man. He sets him free from his bondage. And he sends him home to his family. And now the people are upset. Now they're troubled. They're, they're irritated by what Jesus has done. And so you think at this point, to be polite, Jesus might just kind of, you know, step into the background and, and walk away so as to uh, not get in any more trouble. But no, Jesus doubles down. He begins to criticize uh, the guests for how they're handling this evening, and he begins to criticize the host for who he has invited to the party. I mean, look at this. Jesus shows them that by the way they are acting at this meal, they are completely misunderstanding the way things are supposed to work in the kingdom of God. And, and things have not changed at all in our world. We like to be uh, uh, noticed for things that bring us honor. We like to feel important. In our world, we like to exalt the same things they like to exalt, right? We like to exalt the rich, the wealthy, the powerful, the famous, and the successful. And we love to be associated with them because that makes us look good. If we're associated with the successful people, we, begin that, we believe that success rubs off on us. If we're associated with important people, that importance, we believe, rubs off on us. I remember my grandfather uh, used to have a friend back there in uh, good old uh, LaSalle, Colorado. He had a friend who was a friend of John Elway. Now, if you don't know who John Elway is, uh, he is the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. No conversation. Now, here's the deal. Uh, he was friends with John Elway, and so my grandfather used to like to talk about hanging out with this guy who knew John Elway. And one time, my grandpa actually got to meet John Elway, and he talked about it all the time, because how important are you once you meet John Elway? And the answer, very important. Now, here's the thing. It's not as though I'm picking on my grandpa here, because I got the same bug. It turns out I'm what you call uh, a name dropper. I'm, I'm sort of, I have this sort of vanity inside of me that if I know somebody, I want you to know that I know that person. It makes me feel a little bit more important, I think. And, and I know it's ridiculous, and I know it's petty, but it's true. I like to feel important by association. 
And I'm sure you have the same deal sometimes. We love to feel important. We love to have that place of honor. I love to have you know that my grandpa knew a guy who knew a guy who knew John Elway, and my grandpa met him once. Like, that makes me feel great, you see. We like that feeling. But that's not how things work in the kingdom of God. It's not how things work in the kingdom of a God who chooses for the place of honor a Roman tool of execution. Where the place of honor is a cross. For you see, under the reign of Christ, those who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. Jesus shows up to this meal, and he is not at all interested in impressing this chief of the Pharisees. (laughs) And he's certainly not impressed by this chief of the Pharisees. But notice how the Lord can simply not contain himself when he sees the man with dropsy at the end of the table, if if the man's even sitting at the table at all. He just cannot stop himself from getting over there and serving him and showing him mercy. He could care less what it's going to do to his reputation. Jesus knows that healing this guy on the Sabbath day is the sort of thing that's going to ruin his reputation uh, among uh, the rich and the powerful be influential. He knows it's the sort of thing that could actually end up getting him killed and actually will eventually end up getting him killed. But Jesus is going to love even if it means sacrificing his reputation. Jesus is going to heal this man even if it means his crucifixion and losing his life, and it will. And we'll see it take place when he takes the seat of honor on Good Friday. Jesus says things work differently in the kingdom of God than they do in the world. So this meal situation is sort of a a beautiful parable of how we completely misunderstand things in the way we live in this world. So Jesus will say something like this. When you come to a meal, speaking to all the guests at this meal, uh, when you come to a meal, don't show off. When you walk through this world, don't show off who you are. Sit at the end of the table with the least and the lowest and serve them so that the host, when he sees you, will invite you to a better seat. And don't sit up front so that when the host comes in and sees you there and says, oh man, you got to move back. You're going to bring shame upon yourself by sitting there. Don't do any of that. In other words, don't consider your judgment of yourself better than that of the host. Let God be the judge of where you get to sit. And if you are the host, he says, don't invite those who are going to bolster your reputation and make you look good and end up paying you back. Instead, when you live in this world, when you you move around in this world, don't do things to get something back from people. Instead, serve and love and care for everybody that is put in your way. Invite those to the meal who are hurting, lowly, needy, and impure in the eyes of the world. Yeah, to be sure, They will likely ruin your reputation, but what do you care about your reputation? What should you care about how the world judges you? Simply love the least. Identify with the weak. Serve the poor, the impure, and the sinful. After all, this is what God deems as righteous and good. They will not be able to pay you back. And Jesus says this, and you will be blessed because they cannot pay you back you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, humble yourself, love those who need you to love them, and let God worry about the repayments and the rewards. 
After all, he's the God who has already saved you. He is the God who has already forgiven all of your sins. And he is the God who has already promised you everlasting life and a seat at the marriage feast of the Lamb. This has already been promised to you through Jesus Christ. And that sinful nature inside of you, that that desire uh, to be noticed and to have the place of honor, well, Jesus Christ has crucified that in your baptism and raised you to a new life where you can join him at the end, loving and serving. You already have been judged by God for Christ's sake as beloved. You have favor in the eyes of God, and his judgment about you is the only thing that matters. And he will reward you on the last day, and he will tell you where to sit at the marriage feast of the Lamb. So that now that your seating chart is in his hands, You're free to get up and love and serve everyone he's given you without fear or concern of what the world will say about you. So, let me ask you again. Are you sure you want to have Jesus over for dinner? After all, he comes over and he's going to show up with all kinds of sinners that are going to ruin your reputation in the neighborhood. Sometimes I wonder and I fear that we'd even... Uh, be a little bit uncomfortable with Jesus showing up to church if we saw who he brought with him. And yet, here's the most surprising thing about all of this. You may be uncomfortable having Jesus over to your house for dinner, but that's not going to stop him from wanting to have you over. Jesus has, in fact, invited you to the meal, and he has set a place for you. I mean, think about it. After all, he's come to invite who? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Yes, and sinful you to sit at his table and be forgiven. Now, if these are the sort of people that you don't want to associate with, if these are the sort of people you get uncomfortable with, you may not enjoy life in this kingdom very much because that's who Jesus has decided to surround himself with. People who are hurting and suffering for all kinds of things. He's invited sinners which means, of course, that he has extended the invitation to you. That invitation comes to you today as you come up here to this altar where he will serve you, his body and his blood. He's invited you here so he can take you, forgive you, and send you home restored, doing for you what he always does on the Sabbath day, restoring you and healing you. So come today to the table and take a seat. Jesus has prepared it just for you. And sit here with the rest of us sinners. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would keep us humble. Lord, let our eyes not be fixed on things too high, but simply upon you. For you have died and risen for us, and you have invited us to join you at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Jesus, as we eat your body and drink your blood at this foretaste of the feast to come, we pray that you would strengthen us and sustain us in our faith and teach us to serve even as you have served us. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. This time we continue by confessing our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. Please rise.